Hi everyone. I've never had to do this before, but I feel the need to give a trigger warning today because we're going to be talking about suicide. We're going to be talking about a lot of things, and we're going to be talking about a very special artist, one who lost his life to suicide. So, if you find yourself in a crisis situation regarding suicidal ideation, please call 988. That is the helpline where you can get immediate assistance. You can also go to iasp.info or samaritans.org. That's S-A-M-A-R-I-T-A-N-S dot org, as in the Good Samaritan. All right, here goes with the episode. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Guntlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. So, everybody, today is the 16th anniversary of the death of the American tenor Jerry Hadley. That was a tough week, I gotta say. Just the week before that, we had lost both Beverly Sills and Régine Crespin. But Jerry's death was something beyond horrible and was really almost the last straw. But listen, I'm really trying to balance issues in this episode. Jerry was a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, in the early 2000s. And I'll be talking about that. But before I go into any of the story of the end of his life, I want to talk about what a great singer he was. No, I don't want to talk about it. I want to play several examples for you. Boom, boom, boom of what made Jerry Hadley one of the greatest lyric tenors in the late 20th century. Maybe the greatest. Day with you. 
That was Jerry's performance of You Are Love from the now legendary first complete recording of Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein's Showboat. This was assembled and conducted by John McGlynn. The cast also featured Frederica von Stade and Teresa Stratas, as well as a whole range of fantastic singers. But I have to say, as Gaylord Ravenall, Jerry was really ideally cast. Now, I said boom, 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 so I'm not going to waste any more time. This is the big aria from Gounod's Faust, Salut, demeure, chaste et pure. This is a 1994 studio recording that Jerry made with Carlo Rizzi leading the Welsh National Opera Orchestra. Those of you who listened to my Mozart Tenors episode a couple months ago will remember that Jerry was prominently featured on that. 
and I do believe that he is one of the finest Mozart tenors this country has ever produced. In the early 90s, Charles McHarris engaged Jerry for recordings of three of the big Mozart operas, Don Giovanni, Così fan tutte, and Die Zauberflöte, roles which Jerry had sung the world over with enormous success. This is Tamino's, well, it's not really an aria, it's Wie stark ist nicht dein Zauberton, from the beginning of the finale of the first act. McHarris leads the Scottish Chamber Orchestra. This was the first of the three recordings, which was made in the summer of 1991. <laughs> Stark ist doch dein Zauberton, weil holde Flüte durch dein Spiel, holde Flüte durch dein Spielen, selbst wilde Tiere Freude, doch. Das ist Papagenos Ton. Vielleicht sei er Pavinen schon. Vielleicht eilt sie mit ihm zu mir. Vielleicht, vielleicht führt nicht der Ton zu ihr. Führt nicht der Ton zu ihr. Führt nicht, führt nicht der Ton. I love Jerry's voice because it has so many different qualities. Beauty of line, great variation of dynamics and registration, superlative languages, enormous versatility, and also, and this is not negligible, great power when it's called for. And we'll get into this later, but even sometimes when it wasn't necessarily called for. Anyway, this is a live recording of the Ingenisco from the Verdi Requiem. This is Robert Shaw leading the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. And as far as I could tell, this live recording is from the year 1987. <laughs> 
trying to figure out where to begin with this episode. I think maybe just a little bit of biographical information. Yeah. Jerry Hadley was born the 16th of June, 1952. That means that just over a month ago, he would have turned 71 years old. And it's this very day, July 18th, that we observe his death, 16 years ago in the year 2007. Jerry was born in the village of Manlius, Illinois, in north-central Illinois. He attended Bradley University in nearby Peoria, and then he went to my alma mater, the University of Illinois, at Urbana-Champaign for his master's degree. While he was there, he studied with Grace Wilson, who was felt to be one of the best teachers at U of I. Upon graduation, Jerry moved to Connecticut, and in 78, he began studying with the teacher Tom Lamonaco. I think I will refrain from making any sort of judgment call on if Tom Lamonaco was good for him or if he was not. There were a number of singers who really suffered studying with him, and I'm not going to even venture any theories or opinions on that. I will just say that he studied with him up until a point, and then he began studying with other people, including the man who was my voice teacher, my last years living in New York. So one of Jerry's first big breaks was when Beverly Sills heard him in an audition for the National Opera Institute in 1978, and she offered him a contract with City Opera. Uh, He made his debut there, singing Arturo in Lucia, and of course, eventually, he also moved up to the lead tenor role of Edgardo in Lucia, a role which he sang brilliantly and in which he was ideally cast. There is a recording of Jerry in the year 1982 singing the role of Nadir in Bizet's Pearl Fishers, Les Pêcheurs de Perles. And we're going to hear a portion of Nadir's big aria, Je crois entendre encore. This is live from the stage of City Opera in the year 
Another diva from a previous generation who provided a big boost in Jerry's career was Joan Sutherland, who, along with her husband, Richard Bonning, took Jerry under their wing and helped promote and establish him on the world stages. In fact, his first complete operatic recording was singing Percy in Donizetti's Anna Bolena. This was a late career undertaking for Joan Sutherland, and she's not really at her supreme best. But Jerry sounds fantastic. This is an excerpt from the Cavatina from that 1988 recording. A così nel di ridenti, Richard Bonning leads the Welsh National Opera Orchestra. examples to play for you of Jerry. First, in a gala with the Orchestra of St. Luke's, led by Henry Lewis in the year 1990, here is his extraordinarily beautiful recording of Una Furtiva Lagrima from the Elixir of Love, L'Elisir d'Amore. It's interesting to compare him with Cesare Valletti, another amazing lyric tenor that was featured on an episode just a few weeks ago. He had a more modest sound, in a way, equally solid technically, perhaps even more solid technically than Jerry, who sometimes oversang a little bit. But in this recording, 
I would say he nearly matches Valletti in elegance and expressiveness. Una furtiva lacrima Negli occhi suoi spunto
that Bonning and Sutherland were big supporters of Jerry, and Jerry made a number of recordings with Richard Bonning after Sutherland had retired. And I do think that he received a good deal of career advice and also repertoire suggestions from the pair, and who was better versed in the bel canto repertoire in those days than Sutherland and Bonning. Anyway, here's an excerpt, a brief excerpt, from a Los Angeles opera gala concert. This is from Donizetti's opera Maria di Rohan. This is an excerpt of the aria Alma Soave Cara. Gualtiero Negrini leads the L.A. Opera Orchestra. crossover tenor, in my opinion. There was a slight stiffness to some of his assumptions in these recordings. He recorded My Fair Lady, he recorded Man of La Mancha, the tenor part, he recorded Kismet, he recorded Street Scene, he recorded numerous albums of Broadway and pop excerpts. And some of them are more successful than others, but the complete recording of Court Vile's street scene in which Jerry sings the role of Sam Kaplan is one of his very best. And here's the song Lonely House from that recording, which was made in 1991. At night when Everything 
operatic moment from Robert Wright and George Forrest's musical Kismet. 
which was fashioned on the tunes of the Russian composer Alexander Borodin. It also features some of the most dexterous lyrics in all of the Broadway repertoire. This is the duet Stranger in Paradise from a recording that was made in 1991. Paul Gemignani leads the London Symphony, and Jerry is joined by Ruth Ann Swenson in her exquisite prime. Take my hand, I'm a stranger in paradise, all lost in a wonderland, a stranger in paradise. If I stand starry-eyed, that's a danger in paradise, for mortals who stand beside an angel like you. I saw your face and I ascended out of the common place into the rain. Just 
Jerry was under contract in the early 1990s to RCA Records and made a generous number of recordings for them of varied kinds of repertoire. One of the best of those was called Standing Room Only, and it also features Paul Gemignani, in this case conducting the American Theatre Orchestra. There's a wide range of repertoire from different eras of musicals here. One of the best is from the musical 1776, Words and Music by Sherman Edwards. This is the profoundly moving Mama Look Sharp. It's a dialogue between a dead son lying on the battlefield and his mother who's trying to find his body. Mama, hey mama, come looking for me. I'm here on the meadow by the red maple tree. Mama, hey mama, look sharp, here I be. Spoon. 
Did I mention yet how I knew Jerry? I'm not sure I did. He was dating one of my very best friends at the time, and for a number of years they were together, and I was living with her in her apartment, and so I spent a good deal of time with him. And when he found out that I was a coach, uh, he actually asked me if I would coach him on some of his repertoire. Can you imagine what a privilege this was for me? I mean, I just about flipped my lid. I had already done an embarrassing... <laughs> amount of fangirling telling him how much I loved his recordings of operetta, in particular Viennese operetta. I just don't think any American singer has even come close to matching what he did there. He told me that he had worked so hard on his German when he was over there auditioning and singing, so um, he was very pleased. But you know, he was a person who actually needed that feedback, needed that reinforcement, needed that support from people, because at the time that I knew him, his career had taken a sharp downturn. He had gotten a divorce. He had been involved in some dealings. Oh, God, I don't even want to go into it. But he had really fallen from grace with the Met, and a lot of people who had been his friends had really deserted him. And as my friend pointed out to me the other day, when I was talking to her about him, he was seriously mentally ill. He was highly medicated. He sometimes found it very, very difficult to function. And the fact that he was trying to rebuild his career required enormous resolve and also great bravery. And I have to say that his efforts were not always met with enthusiasm, support, or even kindness from the people that he was approaching. Sometimes, yes, but there were a lot of people who just dropped him like a hot potato. But the reason I was just going to talk a little bit about the personal association is that this 1776 that we just heard is, um, of course, about the Revolutionary War. And one topic on which Jerry was extremely well-versed and extremely well-informed was the Civil War. And he knew everything there was to know about it. And he was also a big fan of Abraham Lincoln and also knew everything there was to know about Lincoln. And if you got him engaged in discussing this, <laughs> you were stuck. So I was talking about what a great Mozart tenor Jerry was, and uh, I want to play an excerpt from Macaris's 1993 recording of Così fan tutte, which features, eh, you know, an uneven cast, let's just say. But Jerry is superb, and I'm going to play not un'aura morosa, which, of course, he sings exquisitely, but instead the much more difficult to sing aria, a loveggio quell'anima bella. He just tosses off this extremely difficult vocal writing as if it were a piece of cake. Oh, oh, oh. 
perhaps. Jerry made a recording in the year 1989 for Nimbus Records of three of the Benjamin Britten song cycles, Les Illuminations, set to text of Rimpot, The Serenade for tenor, horn, and orchestra, and also The Nocturne, that wonderful late cycle of Benjamin Britten's. We heard examples of Peter Pears singing excerpts from a couple of those works just a few weeks ago when I did a Pride episode on those two gentlemen. The thing about Piers, of course, is that he had a very distinctive timbre that not everybody liked all that much. Somebody compared it to the vocal equivalent of a musty basement, which I just thought was pretty accurate, actually. I mean, I like the smell of musty basements, maybe not in excess, but... What's interesting, of course, about these works is that they were written so precisely and so intentionally for the voice and artistry of Peter Pierce. And therefore, when latter-day tenors turned to this repertoire, they often had to figure out how they were going to make music that had been written for a very idiosyncratic voice, how they were going to make that work for them. Now here's Jerry singing the hymn, which is the sixth movement of Britain's Serenade. This is set to a text by Ben Johnson, and we hear not only Jerry's virtuoso singing, but the incredible horning, if you will, of Anthony Halstead. William Boughton leads the English String Orchestra. <laughs> Oui. 
and huntress chased and fed. Now the sun is laid to sleep, seated in thy silver chair. State in wanted manner, keep. Hesperus entreats thy light. Hesperus entreats thy light. Goddess, 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 Excellent Earth, let not thy envious shade Dare itself to interpose Cynthia shining orb was made Them to clear one day did close Bless us then with wish and sight Bless us then with wish and sight Goddess, goddess, goddess Excellently bright And thy crystal shining quiver Give unto the flying heart Space to breathe out shots of heaven Thou that makes the day of night Thou that makes the day of night Thou that makes the Goddess, 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 goddess Excellently bright precursor to this podcast was a blog that I kept for a very short period of time, but I was writing periodic entries exactly at the time that Jerry attempted suicide, and that was on July 11th, 2007. He lay between life and death for a number of days, and then on the 17th of July, they took him off of life support, and he died the following day. Now, I found out something recently about why he committed suicide, what the final blow for him was. It was actually an unspeakable betrayal, and it's not something that I can go into here because it was told me in confidence. But trust me, it would have been something that even a much stronger person would have had difficulty facing. Everybody had all kinds of theories. People were not always very kind about what was going on there. There were even people spreading rumors that he had been sighted recently at gay bars and that this was the reason that he shot himself. Honestly, this kind of crap just made my head explode. I am not at any kind of liberty to discuss this, but I will just say... From my own personal experience, I too attempted suicide a number of years ago after I had moved to Berlin. I don't want to go into too much depth about it, but I know what it is to feel so despairing, to feel that there is no way out, and to feel that the only option is to end things. Thank goodness I discovered that I did have a reason to go on living, and I only wish, oh my God, I wish so deeply that I could have been there for my friend, that I could have helped him. Anyway, I wrote a blog post on the 12th of July, 2007, and I'm just going to read it to you, okay? 
What a blow yesterday to read of Jerry Hadley's botched, but probably soon-to-be-successful, suicide attempt. To say that I am crushed and devastated would be an understatement. Jerry is a friend of mine. A few years ago, as he was revamping his repertoire, he coached some of his roles with me. Cavaradossi, Faust in Donation de Faust, Pinkerton. And also, I don't mention this, but um, we also worked on Riccardo in Ballo. These last two roles, Faust and Pinkerton, he had done frequently, but at the time Cavaradossi was still new for him. What an honor it was for me to work with him. What was even more amazing to me was his humility and his willingness to take my suggestions and run with them. Yeah, he was a tortured soul, but he didn't wear it on his sleeve. He was such an affable guy and frighteningly intelligent. He knew absolutely everything there was to know about the Civil War, and he would regale people with it as long as he held the floor. Kind of the way that I can go on and on about singers and singing if I feel like I have somebody's ear. Long before I even met Jerry, there were stories going around in the business, and if I was privy to them, then they were hardly secrets. That in spite of his continuing success, and this was in the mid-90s, that he was dissatisfied and unfulfilled in his life. And there had been such a slew of setbacks for him in recent years. The public ones we know about, the personal ones can only be guessed at by those who didn't know him. I could get up on my soapbox right now and talk about what a cruel business this is. That someone can be on top of the world at one moment and a piece of dog shit on the sidewalk the next. I've had this experience repeatedly myself, albeit on a much lesser level. And I mention a few places where bad things happen to me. And it's no fun. And if one is plagued by perpetual self-doubt, as both Jerry and I were slash are, it's not such an easy thing to laugh off. Someone I was speaking to about this yesterday said, what a selfish thing for him to do. And yes, suicide is often seen as the ultimate narcissistic act. But part of that is because it's just too scary for the survivors to try and get into the head of the person who has done this unspeakable thing. Frankly, there are a lot of people in this business who should be feeling hugely guilty right now for the way that they treated him. I am reminded of Susanna McCorkle, that beautiful jazz singer who also suffered from crippling depression and who, after a particularly public professional slap in the face, committed suicide. I was haunted by her death for months. Those who have not experienced this depth of depression just can't understand what would drive a person to do this. And intelligence and the powers of reasoning are nothing against this torture. The only way one can do justice to those great artists whose lives end tragically is to remember their contribution to our lives, how, putting all demons aside, they managed to bring us joy, sadness, beauty, the whole range of human experience. Life isn't all tragedy. We should remember primarily the happiness Jerry brought, both to his public and to his friends. We need to fight for joy as best we can. Jerry Hadley, the artist, I will remember as one who sang with such taste, musicality, scrupulousness. His operetta recordings are probably the best we've heard from an American tenor ever, and his performances in the lyric tenor repertoire of Mozart especially are to be treasured. 
The guy, Jerry Hadley, that I'm going to remember had at the core of his being pure joy in spite of all that other crap. This was the essence of Jerry. Okay, that's the end of the post. And as my dear friend who once dated him said to me the other day, he never, in spite of all of his sufferings, he never once lost his true essence. By the way, she also pointed out to me another extraordinary thing about him. She said that he was interested in the ancient mysteries of the apostles and the very earliest days of Christianity. He taught himself Aramaic so he could read those ancient texts. And I responded, not your typical hobby. And she wrote back, not your typical soul either. I have a few more things to play for you that represent Jerry at his peak and also point us in various directions in which he might have gone had he lived. I heard him, I think I only heard him once in the house, and that was singing Lensky in Onyegin. And here is a live recording of him doing Lensky's aria, Kuda Kuda. This is from the year 1989. <laughs> Pretty, pretty, 
that there was a lot of power and metal in that voice. Sometimes Jerry oversang, especially in those years in the 1980s and early 90s. And I think sometimes he got himself into a little bit of trouble. I have to tell you that in those years that he worked with me, there was no diminishment of his vocal acuity, honestly. And that would have been in about... 2002 through 2004, I would guess. I had read that an agent that he had approached had been discussing possible expansions of repertoire, and he was talking about potentially doing Captain Veer in Billy Budd, among other parts. And while we're on the subject of Britain, imagine what an incredible Peter Grimes he would have been. I think he also could have sung Lohengrin, actually as long as he could have fought that tendency to sometimes overblow his sound, I think he would have been great. Here is an example from the year 1997. This was a concert conducted by another of his mentors, John Mauceri. It was a Korngold concert live from Vienna in April 1997. This is one of Paul's monologues from Korngold's Die Totestadt. I think it shows quite clearly a direction in which he could have gone. Remember also that around this time he was singing Jimmy Mahoney in Mahagoni. I think it was a pretty successful assumption, but if anything, this Korngold is even better. <laughs>
project that Jerry pursued and developed was uh, with one of his former teachers, Eric Dahlheim, who was one of two of the accompanying teachers in Urbana. He was still there when I was there. And Jerry developed this whole program about Carl Sandburg and the music of the Midwest. It was a fascinating program, and he had just done it for the first time shortly before I met him, and he was very enthusiastic and excited about performing it further. There is one song here that I'd really like to share with you. This is live from Cranert Hall in Urbana, where I went to school, where Jerry went to school. This was a performance from November 2000, and this is the song by Jay Gorney, words by Yip Harburg. Brother, can you spare a dime? And I don't think we have to read much into this to sense the despair that he was fighting. They used to tell me I was building a dream. And so I followed the mob When there was earth to plow or guns to bear I was always there, right there on the job They used to tell me I was building a dream With peace and glory Tower to the sun. Br- 
brick and rivet and lime. Once I built a tower, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? in khaki suits Gee, we look swell Full of that Yankee doodly dum Half a million boots Went slogging through hell I was the kid with the drum Oh, say, don't you remember They called me Al It was Al all the time Remember, I'm your pal. Buddy, can you spare a dime? Once in khaki suits, oh gee, we look swell. Before that Yankee doodly dum. Half a million boots went slogging through hell. I was the kid with the I'd mentioned a couple times how much I loved Jerry's performances of operetta. And I'm going to play one for you right now. And then I'm going to put together a bonus episode later this week featuring a wide range of his performances of Viennese operetta because he made two different albums of Viennese operetta in German with Richard Bonning. And he also did some English language versions, which I have to listen to and see if I want to play those or not. Those were also with Bonning conducting. This is one of Lehar's most beautiful arias, Freunde, das Leben ist lebenswert. Friends, life is worth living. It's from Lehar's opera slash operetta Judita. And I just so wish that our friend could have held this message closer to him in that moment of despair. Nein, 
So there's going to be a bonus episode, and if you'd like to support the podcast and gain access to that and the many other bonus episodes that I've produced, you can go to patreon.com slash countermelody. I hate to even be talking about it because it sounds like I'm just trying to make money off of this, and of course, that's never my main objective. My main objective is to share beautiful singing with you, and I think that's what we've heard today. Anyway, enough about that. I want to play you now from a live concert in Hamburg. Jerry singing the second verse of a song that has always been so close to my heart. And even now, across these many years, I almost like to think that he's singing it to me. It's Danny Boy. interpreter of so many different roles, Tom Rakewell in Rake's Progress, Nadia, Vertea, Faust, Pinkerton, Edgardo, Nemorino, and of course, all of 
the Mozart heroes, including both Idamante and Idomeneo. The list goes on and on. He also was an ideal Candide. Now, when he made that concert recording with Leonard Bernstein conducting, he told me that everybody in the cast was sick as a dog, and he was also much under the weather. The same thing happened when he went to record Bernstein's Mass with Kent Nagano. I think that was in the year 2002. That was also recorded. But I'm not going to play anything with Jerry Sick. Instead, I'm going to play you the finale from Candide, Make Our Garden Grow. And this was a concert in honor of Leonard Bernstein's 70th birthday. There's a beautiful extended interview of Jerry talking about Lenny. And I'll put it up on the show notes if you'd like to give that a listen. I have to say that hearing his voice again, it was almost as if I was just sitting there in awe of his experiences and of him telling tales in the wonderful way that he always did. The finale of Candide is all about making do with what we have and finding some kind of sense or joy in life. And that is still the message that I take away, not just from this piece, but from my friendship with Jerry Hadley and from both his life and his artistry, that in spite of struggle, we still seek out beauty and meaning. Please remember that if you are in any kind of distress, that you call 988 if you're in the U.S., or you contact one of those suicide prevention websites. Please, please, please. I didn't have that help when I needed it. Neither did Jerry. Jerry didn't make it. I did. So this, this episode, it's a call to persevere. That's all. Just to keep on. To build our house and chop our wood and make our garden grow. Listen. We're hearing Dawn Upshaw singing Kunigonde, and she just celebrated her birthday yesterday. So, happy 63rd birthday to you, Dawn Upshaw. Here is a real survivor. Seiji Ozawa leads the Boston Symphony and the Tanglewood Festival Chorus and the full panoply of artists, all of whom joined together to honor Leonard Bernstein, just as, I hope, I have paid tribute to my dear friend and my artistic idol, Jerry Hadley. Chop our wood and make our garden. 
Dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach. Be well. <laughs>